Some of you know that song, right? Some of you know what that song is. Do we have any Husker fans in here? Yeah, all right. Like, that was a great cheer. Um, so when I hear that song, I think of the Huskers. You know, I actually have to say something. I got corrected uh, after the first sermon, after the first service. It wasn't about anything in the Bible, so I'm happy about that. But it was about that song being used for the Huskers. I thought they started in the 1980s using that. I guess it was the 90s. And it's been the, uh, the tunnel walk. So here comes your team. We're excited. Uh, we're going to win the victory, right? Because the Huskers were great at one point. If some of you are young... Some of you are young, you don't know this, but the Huskers were great at one point. In fact, uh, they had a 47-game winning streak at home. So when that song started to play, you're like, oh, we're going to win. It's a home game. We are definitely going to win again, and it was exciting. The last 10 years, some of us Husker fans try to forget. It's a little shameful, but still the song comes on, and you're like, you get excited. Okay, so what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? I want to talk about Psalm 46, and Psalm 46 feels like a tunnel walk song. It feels like that hype song of like, oh, here we go. Like it's battle time, but not that we're going to win this war, but God is with us and he is undefeated. Nobody has ever defeated him. So Psalm 46 feels like a tunnel walk song. That's why I played that music. Apparently the, the bulls were using that before the Huskers. And I didn't say that the first service, so credit to Chicago for apparently doing that before the Huskers did. I wouldn't have known. I don't really watch pro sports. So, Yeah, so Psalm 46. Uh, this is a psalm for those experiencing trouble. It's a psalm that reminds us that God is our refuge and strength in those times of trouble. It's a psalm that reminds us that God is with us in hard times. And I'm preaching through Psalm 46 because there is an epic song by Shane and Shane that comes from Psalm 46. I love it. I've been using it for my private worship for a number of years. Uh, and then we decided as a worship council, this song should be in our repertoire because it's epic and it's great and it's based off Psalm 46. So I'm going to preach from Psalm 46 and uh, I think you'll love it. I think you'll love it. But we're going to look at some of the context of the song first. Like where does it come from? So this is a song written by the sons of Korah. And a majority of the scholars believe it's connected with a time when King Hezekiah uh, was being threatened by the Assyrian army. They were coming against Judah, and Assyria was, like, was growing in strength and had like, desolated other nations. Um, and it's that context. And we see that Second uh, Kings, Second Chronicles, and Isaiah, it's actually in all of those, that's the same passage. It's written a little bit differently in the Second Chronicles passage. But that's where... Most scholars agree that this is the context of this psalm. So I want to share that context. Let me explain. Actually, there's probably too much. Let me sum up. So some of you caught that. <laughs> this is, so it's the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign in Judah, and he's done a great job leading the nation. His father did a terrible job, but Hezekiah has brought the people back to worshiping the Lord and him only. Um, Assyria, as I said, they are growing in strength and they are beginning to take over other nations and surrounding peoples. Uh, and King Sennacherib, I looked that up, I had to figure out how to pronounce that, King Sennacherib, and Jack, he checked me, so <laughs> Sennacherib, it sounds weird to say, but King Sennacherib, he gets his eyes set on Judah. All right, we've been like destroying nations, so let, let's go 
Let's go set our, our hearts and our minds on Judah. And so he comes against the fortified cities. And at that point, Hezekiah sends word to Sennacherib. And he sends a bunch of gold and a bunch of silver uh, from the temple and his own treasury. This is an effort to say, uh, Assyria, turn back, withdraw. Like, we don't, we don't want war. Well, Sennacherib sends a bunch of officials to Jerusalem, uh, and Hezekiah sends out his officials. And they're on this place, you've got to picture it. So there's the wall of Jerusalem. They're at a place where they can shout loud enough where the people that are along the wall can hear it. And the Assyrians begin mocking the people of Jerusalem. Don't trust in Egypt, they won't save you. Don't trust in the Lord, they won't save you. See how many other nations have been saved by their God? Zero. You should be scared, here we come. And uh, the, the people of, so Hezekiah's people, his officials, they come back to Hezekiah and, and proclaim, okay, before they do that, back up my story. So they ask the people of Assyria, speak in a different language, speak in Aramaic so the people of Jerusalem can't understand you. Like they're trying to keep the people from getting afraid, uh, but the Assyrians don't care and they continue to mock Jerusalem in their own native tongue. And then King Hezekiah's officials come back. Um, they had said to, uh, Hezekiah had said to his people, don't respond. Don't respond to the Assyrians. They're going to mock us, and, but don't respond to them. He had said, do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Now, for the record, Jerusalem was outnumbered, but Hezekiah had something different in mind when he said that we outnumber them. So Hezekiah's ref- officials returned to him, and they share. This is what the officials of Syria said. And Hezekiah tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, and he goes to the temple to pray. Like, this is a sign of desperation. There's an enemy coming up against us. I am desperate, Lord, for you to help out. And then he sends word to Isaiah because Hezekiah has been a good king and he's listening to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah sends word back. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria sends a letter now directly to Hezekiah. Again, it's warning him, don't trust in your God. No other God has been able to save their people. We just keep on winning these wars. All we do is win, win, win. That's what Assyria is thinking. When Hezekiah got that letter, he went to the temple again, and he spread that letter out before the Lord. And he prayed, and we have some of his prayer recorded here, 2 Kings. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And guess what? The Lord responds 
to Hezekiah. He hears that plea for mercy. And Isaiah proclaims a prophecy against Sennacherib that the army is going to be defeated and he won't lay a hand on Jerusalem and actually that Sennacherib is going to die back in his homeland. We have some of that prophecy recorded as well. Um, He shall not, this is talking about King Sennacherib. He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. That night, an angel of the Lord comes and desolates the Assyrian army. 185,000 soldiers put to death by the angel of the Lord. And King Sennacherib, a little afraid after that, right? A little afraid of the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and earth, that he had taunted him and mocked him. Now the, the word says, the scripture says that he went away ashamed. And he went back to worship his God and the temple of his God. And two of his sons came and killed him with the sword. So this is the context for Psalm 46. I read this story several times in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah. And the more I read it and thinking about Psalm 46, I thought, oh, this is, this is so good. Like the, the riches, the depths, knowing the context was really healthy for me. So I hope that you also will enjoy just having some of that context as we dive into Psalm 46 and it will be fresh for you. Uh, one quick note before I do that. I don't know how many of you know, but most of the Psalms are actually in a singular um, word, the way they say. So it's I, me, and my. This is one of the Psalms, like some others, that happens to have a, a, a corporate language about it that I really appreciate and uh, I love because it reminds us that the Psalms are meant to be sung together, that God is our God, that uh, we fight battles together and God is with us. God isn't just with me. We're so individualistic in the society that sometimes we forget how important the church is and, and crying out to our God. Okay, so let's look closer at Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As it says a little bit later in the psalm, the Lord of hosts is with us. And he's with us to overcome our fears. I think that's what this first section is really about. So when I was young, I was deathly afraid of tornadoes. Anybody afraid of tornadoes here or used to be afraid of tornadoes? Hated them. If there was a threat of a tornado, I was in the basement. And when I say a threat, you guys are thinking, well, of course, if a a tornado's bearing down on your house, you should be in the basement. No, if there was a tornado watch, I was that kid. I was in the basement. And I, I was pretty young at that point, Mind you, so like if I forgot my blanket upstairs on my bed and I'm downstairs, oh no, I gotta run upstairs to get my blanket. You know, a tornado might desolate our house right in that moment. So I'd run up real quick and and run back down and get it. I hated tornadoes so much. Uh, But we had a pool table down there. So needless to say, I got decent at pool, Uh, but that was our refuge. The pool table was where we were supposed to go. Uh, All of our family knew it because the pool table has that big slab of slate, super heavy if you've ever tried to move a pool table. I would rather move a piano than a pool table. Uh, And so it was our refuge. Like, that's where you go if the tornado is going to hit you. That was our refuge. Now, 
to this day, I, I've gotten like more brave. I'm uh, probably a fellow Kansan where I go outside when there's a tornado warning. Anybody like, where's the tornado? Maybe I can see it. Now I do that knowing that my house, my refuge is like right there. I can just step right back in, so I'm good. But to this day, I hate driving through severe weather. Uh, like especially at night, I have no idea what's in the field next to me, and I just get tense. I don't know if that's still some leftover from being deathly afraid of tornadoes when I was there. I had many nightmares about tornadoes. The point here, the Lord is our refuge. He is our refuge in the storm. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's with us to overcome our fears. We will not fear though the earth gives way. There's a pretty intense picture here. How many of you remember experiencing a, uh, an earthquake in Newton? Like there's been some really light ones that some of us have been able to feel, but I can't imagine like a, like a high magnitude earthquake where it really feels like the earth below you is giving way. That has to be just, has anybody ever experienced a major earthquake in here? Uh, Japan days, maybe? Oh, man, that had to be intense. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And this is hyperbolic language. We're not meant to, to look at, oh, the mountains are crumbling into the sea. It's, it's, yeah, hyperbolic language. But to the original hearers of the psalm, the mountains were a picture of stability. They would have been used as landmarks. Like, I know where I'm at because I can see that mountain. And the sea was a picture of instability. You know, people lost their lives on, on the sea, and that was a, a picture of, of chaos and instability. The other thing that's interesting in here, as I was doing some research, uh, there's sort of a reversal of creation's order in this story. So when God creates, uh, the, the waters move and the, the land appears and rises, and uh, in this language, there's sort of a reversal of that, of the mountains crumbling back into the ocean. Um, so it's kind of a, a poetic way to, to think through that. I, I was struck by that, one of the scholars that I read. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so the main idea, again here, we don't need to fear chaos or disorder because God is with us. When the world is unstable, God is stable. When our world is falling apart, God is holding things together. It may not seem like it. God is sovereign. He is con in control and he's holding things together. Whether it's a tornado, cosmic collapse, or anything that might bring us fear, we don't need to be afraid. God is with us. God is with us through hard things. God is with us through cancer. God is with us through the loss of a loved one. We don't need to fear the things that the world fears. We don't need to fear our enemy. We don't need to fear Satan. Um, sometimes I am my own worst enemy. I'm guessing all of you at some point have been that. Like I like to blame things on Satan, but sometimes I just need to own up my flesh. I have a sinful nature that uh, is hard and uh, God is bigger than that. Praise the Lord. God is with us through our darkest battle with sin. The Lord is with us. The Lord of armies is with us. I think of uh, a first John verse, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if you are a child of God, if you are forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, he will not leave you or forsake you. He is with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death does not have the final word. Death has lost its sting. God is with us, even through death. So I thought of some questions, 
kind of application from this first part of the psalm. Where do you run when the earth gives way and when the world crumbles around you? Where is your refuge? Sometimes my refuge ends up being social media. I'm ashamed to admit that. I'm actually doing a, a YouTube fast this month. The other staff are holding me accountable and I'm just doing like just zero YouTube for the whole month. Um, is your refuge Netflix? Is your refuge your work? Or your, maybe your man cave, like you have an awesome man cave and that's where I gotta get away from things so I go to my man cave. Is your refuge your phone? I feel like for a lot of us these days, the phone ends up being our refuge. Where do you turn when fear starts to creep in? Where do you look to for strength when the enemy attacks? Or where do you look to for strength when your own sinful flesh seems like it's too powerful for you to handle? God is with us. He wants to be the refuge that we continually run to. He's there. He is a refuge. We should choose to run to him. So the Lord of hosts is with us to overcome our fear. He's also with us to make us glad. I'm getting this out of the second section here of Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I love hiking. But anytime I hike, I want to make sure that we're able to like hike by some water. I want to know that we're going to cross some streams. Or uh, I love those hikes when you're, you're headed out and you know there's a waterfall. And then you start to hear, I think I hear the roar of water. Like we're getting closer. I can't see it yet, but I'm getting closer to that roar of water. And I love mountain streams. Uh, they're so clear and cool and refreshing. I'll just drink right out of a mountain stream, right? But I probably wouldn't drink through uh, whatever that creek is that runs through Newton. Probably wouldn't do that. Like, they're so refreshing. Uh, and I love that. It brings me a lot of joy. In fact, last summer when we were on our vacation time, uh, we were in the mountains and we found a, a hike that we went on. And it, there was a bridge that went over a small creek. And we probably spent an hour there on the bridge, just kind of like throwing rocks in the stream and just laughing and enjoying it. Uh, even when Noah fell in and got like his, he, I mean, he got pretty wet. But it was towards the end of the hike. So we were good. It was fun. I loved it. Uh, you know, in Bible times, uh, water wasn't as accessible as it is to us. Uh, rivers and springs were incredibly significant for communities, for towns. They needed a fresh water supply. In fact, when a city was under siege, if the invading army could cut off the supply of water, could cut off the streams that are coming into that city, like that would significantly increase their odds of, of winning. Um, and speed up the process, and things can get really ugly when a community's water supply is shut off. It's a pretty big deal to have water. And so this picture of a river and streams in the midst of the Assyrian invading army was a, uh, it was a powerful illustration. The river is significant because God is in her midst. I think, again, this river signifies God. It's, it's God is with his people, the stream. Uh, he's with them. He's with them to make them glad. He's with them to remind them to be thankful for his presence and his refreshing. In the midst of the battle and the threat of siege, God's presence brings gladness to his people. And this is the kind of 
of gladness and joy that we like to talk about here, like not a situational happiness where things are going great, so I'm happy, but even in the midst of an invading army threatened to be under siege, that there is gladness and joy in the Lord. He is their joy. They will not be moved even when the enemy threatens. In this stream, it, it reminds me of New Testament and the Gospel of John. Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And John, the writer of the gospel, goes on to explain that that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside those who, who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's like streams of living water in us. Also, I, I can't help but envision uh, the heavenly city of God. Now, this psalm doesn't explicitly say Jerusalem or Zion, but every single scholar out there believes this, this is Jerusalem, this is the city we're talking about. God's presence was there in the temple. His Shekinah glory was there, and they, they knew it. But I wonder if the absence of Jerusalem or Zion, which you don't see in the next couple psalms that's talking about Jerusalem, is reminding us to look to the new Jerusalem. And we see a glimpse of that in Revelation. There's a couple places in Revelation where it talks about new Jerusalem. Uh, Revelation 21, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I love that picture. Now Jerusalem did eventually fall but it didn't fall to Assyria. Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, to King Nebuchadnezzar, um, because Israel and Judah, they forsook the Lord. They continued to chase after idols and worship others. And there's a point that actually describes God's presence leaving the temple because of their sin, because of their idolatry. And if you want to read more about that, that's in Ezekiel chapters 8 through 10. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he uh, puts Jerusalem to siege so that nothing can come in or out and it gets super ugly. Like rated R ugly. You forget that some of the Bible is ugh. Yeah. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Another version says that kingdoms topple. Now if the first part of the psalm is about cosmic collapse, then I would say the second part is about political pandemonium. I came up with that, it sounded good. Political pandemonium, when nations rage and start wars. When kingdoms fall, God is still sovereign. And he makes those who trust in him uh, and love him, he makes them glad. Like we could use some of that, right? Our nation feels like it's kind of spiraling out of control, away from the Lord, away from truth. God wants us to be glad in the midst of that, even in the midst of a nation that's raging. When the things are crazy around me, I can still be glad. <clears throat> I'm so glad that I have the Holy Spirit outside of me. God is with me. I'm so glad that I get to call the creator of the entire universe Father. I'm glad that I have Jesus as my friend, one who has been here, who understands temptation and understands hardship. God is indeed with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Other translations say the Lord of armies is with us or the Lord of heaven's armies is with us. Now that was helpful for me to understand because Lord of hosts 
if, if you're first hearing that, it doesn't necessarily connect. Okay, what are we saying, Lord of hosts? Um, God is the Lord over all the armies of the world. He is sovereign. And God is the Lord over angel armies, right? It's like a legion of angels at his command. As Hezekiah told his people, don't be afraid of Sennacherib because there are more with us than are with him. And I think he understood that the Lord of hosts is with them, the Lord of angel armies. And even though numerically they might have been overpowered by a huge Assyrian army, God is bigger than that. He was right in saying that there are more with us than them. Now, I was curious, so I looked up. The first time that we see the Lord of armies in Scripture comes in 1 Samuel, uh, a woman named Hannah. Here in 1 Samuel 1.11, it says, Lord of armies, she's crying out to the Lord. Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. Hannah is pleading before the Lord in desperation and crying out in her anguish. So she's married, and her husband loves her dearly, which is great, but her husband has another wife who hasn't had any problems having children. And there's Hannah feeling like she's in this battle because the other wife is having children, and she hasn't been able to be blessed with that. So she cries out to the Lord of armies, and God answers that prayer as well. And she has a son, and names him Samuel, and probably many of you have heard that name. Samuel's a pretty key figure in the history of Israel. The Lord of hosts is with us. He has been with his people. And then I love in Isaiah's prophecy, I think we see a new level of, of with us. Like the, the people of Israel understand God with us because he was in the temple. The Shekinah glory was there. You get to God is there. He is with us. And then Isaiah alludes to what we often share at Christmas. This is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means let's try that one more time. Emmanuel means God with us. I love that that next level of God being with us, that he would come and walk this earth and be with us in that kind of tangible way. That's the same language used there, Emmanuel, that is used in Psalm 46. And then now, in the age of the church, the Holy Spirit comes to make his home in us. What well, even a new level of God being with us. I love that picture. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob. This is a, a reminder that a, our God is a God of covenant, a God of promise, and that he keeps his promises. Because let's be honest, Jacob wasn't a great guy. Uh, he was a deceiver, a manipulator, a schemer. He showed favoritism. So this title, God of Jacob, shows us God's grace. That though he knows our wickedness, he knows our hearts, and still he lets us live. He's willing to save us. The title, God of Jacob, reminds us that God pursues us even though we're unworthy. So the Lord of hosts is with us to overcome our fears, to make us glad, and this last point, to still our striving. I'm not sure if that was the best way to say it or not, but that's, that's what I came up with. Still our striving. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So imagine for a minute with me that you live in Jerusalem in this time and uh, you're hearing rumors about the Assyrian army that they're taking over and destroying other nations and just destroying their idols. And then, then you hear this rumor that uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, wants to come and take over Judah. Now he's got his eyes set on Jerusalem, the city where you're living. And you know that Hezekiah has told you not to be afraid. Trust the Lord. But you're also hearing that, that Hezekiah is desperate and he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he's pleading before the Lord. So we're, we're getting a little nervous here. But then Isaiah the prophet, he comes and shares him that they're not going to defeat you. They won't even enter into this city. You don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but you wake up the next morning and there's a hustle and bustle about the city. And people are, I'm just imagining, I'm not sure if this is what happens, I'm just imagining that a flock of people are going out of the city walls to witness, to behold the desolation of the entire Assyrian army. 185,000 troops dead. Can you imagine that? Maybe some of the chariots are still on fire and burning. Maybe there's some broken bows there and some bent spears that are, are just laying around. That's a, a pretty impressive sight. Not a single soldier of Jerusalem had to go out and fight. Sennacherib had boasted in his chariots. He had said this. Well, God said this about him. You have mocked the Lord through your messengers, for you have said, with my chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. Well, now his army was struck down. His pride was torn apart. He had mocked the living God. So if, if there's a warning in here, don't mock the living God. Don't mock the God of the universe. That's not, not something you want to do. Don't mess with the Lord. He causes wars to cease. Come behold the works of the Lord. So I think Psalm 46 has a, a call to remember what the Lord has done. Many of you have been saved from battles and strongholds in your lives. God saved me from addiction to pornography. He caused that, that war to cease, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, for some of you, you've experienced God's victory over depression. For some of you, you've experienced freedom from a stronghold of drugs or alcohol in your life. For some of you, you've experienced great healing in your marriage. Some of you have experienced God's provision after the loss of a job and not knowing how you're going to pay the bills and for most of us in here, I hope, we've experienced God's salvation, his goodness. Though we were walking in darkness, though we were children of wrath, children of the enemy, he called us out of darkness, he saved us, he pursued us. That's a work to behold. Probably, well, definitely the greatest work to behold, that he has saved us. If you're still in the midst of a battle, remind yourselves of the battles that God has won. Remind yourselves of who God is. Remind yourselves that God is with you. And if you can think about those past victories that God's given you, I think that's a, a healthy thing. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There's the verse. Probably the verse that many of us recognize from the psalm. Probably the verse that some of you might have like on a coffee mug 
or t-shirt or perhaps like on a painting on your wall. Does anybody have this verse somewhere in their house? I see a few hands. Yeah. Uh, often it's used to encourage people to relax, relax and, and live a life of like contemplation and, and a serene lifestyle. And while scripture does call us to meditate and rest, the context of this is in the midst of a battle. And there's much more a call of cease striving. It's a call to still our striving and to be in awe of our God. James Montgomery Boyce, he says this, it's not advice to lead a contemplative life. It means rather, lay down your arms, surrender and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. This verse, to be still and know that I am God, is a call to stop trying to be God in your life. You're not God. You have a God. Don't try to be God. Let God be God. It's a summons to surrender, not to our enemies, but to surrender to the Lord, giving him control. I actually like the rendering of the CSB better. It says, stop fighting and know that I am God. Stop fighting and know that I am God. And not a, not a fighting amongst yourselves, although if you're doing that, please stop fighting amongst yourselves. But stop fighting and know that I am God. And notice the perspective change. Uh, the psalm is written about God, and then God himself speaks in verse 10. Uh, that perspective change, I think it should catch our attention. It actually didn't catch my attention until I started studying. I was like, whoa, that's super cool. Uh, it's a little nuance that really stuck out to me. It's like God's intervening during a time of prayer or praise and worship, and he comes in, hold on, I have something to declare. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I also realize that when I quote this, I have the tendency to just do the first part, be still and know that I am God. Probably the, the mug or the painting or the t-shirt or whatever it has doesn't have, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. I'm not sure why we've just done that little section. Like I think the more times I point to that verse, I want to include all of that. And I love this uh, because part of this is an answer to Hezekiah's prayer. He was desperate for the Lord and he was pleading to his God for help. Here's part of what he prayed to the Lord. So now, O Lord our God, save us please from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. God responds, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God will be exalted. And in light of this, I think this call to come and behold excuse me, come behold the works of the Lord isn't just for believers. There's a call for all nations, all people, whether they're gonna love Jesus or not, uh, to come and submit and look and behold the works of our God. When other nations behold the mighty works of God, he is feared and he is exalted. And one day everyone, right? Everyone will declare that he is the Lord. One day every tongue will confess. When people hear that God came to earth, and lived amongst us, and lived a perfect sinless life, and then offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, and rose from the dead victorious, he will be exalted. Wherever that's proclaimed, some people will be responding to that message, and he will be exalted. Hallelujah. This, of course, is the greatest work. The greatest work to behold, I mentioned already, the greatest work that I behold is my salvation. That's the biggest miracle God has ever done in my life, that he saved a sinner like me. 
We should continue to be in awe of his salvation. And I think God is asking some of us to still our striving. Maybe this morning, somebody needs to stop fighting. So here's some questions for application. Where are you trying to play God and fight the fights that he has not asked you to fight? Where do you need to cease striving and simply be in awe of the works of God? Where do you need to be reminded that God is with you in your battle, in your hardship? Where do you need to walk in faith and stop striving like the victory is totally dependent upon you? Yes, do your part. Walk in faith. Act justly. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the truth. But don't fight the fight that isn't yours to fight. Don't fight in a way that God doesn't get any glory in your victory. If you find a victory and you're finding that all the credit goes to you, then something's, something's amiss. Something's not right. Behold his victories and remember he is with you. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And there's no mistake that this line is repeated because this is the big idea here. The God of angel armies is with us. God is with us. He is with us as a shelter. He is with us through the fiercest battle. He is with us in the storm. He is with us in the fire. God has been with us. You know, God has been with me. It was, it was good to stop and reflect. God has been with me through pornography addiction. I'm so thankful for his healing there. God was with me when I was a, a pastor at a church in Kearney and the lead pastor left and started another church in town. He was with me when I ran into people that were struggling with trying to understand the situation and struggling with anger, and I didn't have the words to say. He was with me when I stepped down from my role as worship pastor because our church was way smaller and I went back to the home improvement store that I really didn't want to go to. He was with me, and even in that season, he brought my heart gladness. God has been a shelter to me. He was with me, and maybe this one seems fickle, but God was with me when our band split up. I loved what we were doing, and I loved quitting our jobs and going to hit the road. And God was, was with me when I kept responding to the request from churches and colleges and camps to come and play another concert, and I had to say, no, we're not, we're not doing concerts anymore. And God was with me when I was in high school and I had like no social life because it was either go out and party or just stay home and wait for college until God will bless you with some great friendships. God was with me in all that and there was still joy. So I'd like to invite up the worship team. If you guys want to make your way back up, uh, we'd like to teach you this song that's based off of Psalm 46. And I encourage you, as you're starting to learn the song, maybe some of you know it already, um, as you're singing this, remember the victories that God has brought in your life and pray about those victories that you've yet to see. Uh, whatever is going on in your life, God is with you. Though oceans roar, though the earth gives way, though the mountains move into the sea, though the nations rage, God is in control. He will be exalted he is with us. The Lord, is, Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of armies is with us. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you've always been with your people and you don't forsake us. 
we thank you, God, uh, that you are the God of angel armies, that you are powerful, you are undefeated, and no one can come against you. Thank you, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that you came to live on this earth and to walk with us, that you would know what it's like. You would be a, a faithful and merciful high priest. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us, that you come to make your home in us. It's incredible. Um, God, as we sing this song, I pray it would be an anthem for our people in the midst of battles, in the midst of victories, that you would receive glory and you would show yourself mighty and strong and you would be our refuge that we consistently run to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.